come to Darius, and then a written reply be returned concerning it. So basically what's happening is Tetanai says, you shouldn't be doing this. I'm going to write a letter to the king because I'm in control of this area beyond the Euphrates River. This is on the west side of it. And I'm going to tell him what you're doing. I'm going to take the names of the people involved. We're going to find out if you're supposed to be doing this or not. In verse 6, this is a copy of the letter which Tetanai, the governor of the province beyond the river, and Shether Bozanai and his colleagues and officials who were beyond the river sent to Darius the king. They sent a report to him in which it is written thus, and here it is, to Darius the king, all peace. That's why we want to begin a, a letter like this to the king, all peace. Let it be known to the king that we have gone to the province of Judah, to the house of the great God, which is being built with huge stones and beams are being laid in its, wa- in its walls, and the work is going on with great care, and it is succeeding in their hands. And then we asked those elders and said to them thus, Who issued you a decree to rebuild this temple and finish this structure? We also asked them their names, so as to inform you, and that we might write down the names of the men who are at their head, in other words, the leaders of the people. Thus they answered and said, We are the servants of God, the God of heaven and earth, and are rebuilding the temple that was built many years ago, which the great king of Israel had built and finished, a reference to Solomon. Verse 12, but because our fathers had provoked the God of heaven to wrath, he gave them into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, the Chaldeans who destroyed this temple and deported the people to Babylon. However, in the first year of Cyrus, the king of Babylon, King Cyrus issued a decree to rebuild the house of God. Also, the gold and the silver, the utensils of the house of God, which Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple in Jerusalem and brought them to the temple of Bab- in Babylon, these King Cyrus took from the temple of Babylon, and they were given to the one whose name was Shethbazar, whom had been appointed by the governor. He said to him, Take these utensils and go deposit them in the temple, which isn't built yet, and they're supposed to build it in the time of Cyrus, in Jerusalem, and let the house of God be rebuilt in its place. Then Sheshbazar came and laid the foundation, and that's the guy that may be another name for Zerubbabel, we think that it is, and laid the foundations of the house of God in Jerusalem, and from then until now it has been under construction and is not yet complete. Yeah, it's not complete. They hadn't worked on it for 16 years. Now, if it pleases the king, let a search be conducted in the king's treasure house, which is there in Babylon, if it be that the decree was issued by King Cyrus to rebuild the house of God at Jerusalem and let the king send to us the decision concerning this matter. So basically, here's what happened. They came and they thought, you know, we don't know whether you ought to be doing this or not. We don't know if you have permission. So they wrote a letter to the king And they said to Darius, uh, these people claim to have permission from Cyrus. Would you check the archives and make sure that the legal documents are there, that Cyrus really did give them permission? And the nice thing is that Tetanai didn't stop the work. He's going to wait for the letter to come back from the king before he does that. But they're on the line, and they need to get moving on this thing. And this guy actually lets them continue their work until he gets the letter, which is a good thing. Let's look at these verses a little bit more closely and see what's going on, and see what we can learn from this. In verses 1 and 2, what we learn, this is in your bulletin if you're following along, God sends his spokesman to encourage people to get back to doing the work of the mission God has given them. 
God from heaven notices everybody's down there fixing their own house, doing their own thing, paneling their houses, which takes a little bit of time. And here sits my house. Basically, we have a foundation that's still a little bit rough. It needs to be built, and nobody's interested in doing it. And God's saying, that's what I sent them back to do. Why aren't my people doing what I told them to do. So God rounds up a couple of prophets that are very uh, obedient to him and will say to the people whatever he says to tell them, and that's Haggai and that is Zechariah. So in verse 1, the prophets Haggai and Zechariah prophesied to the Jews who were to do the rebuilding of the temple. They prophesied to them in the authoritative name of, of Yahweh, God's Hebrew name. There had been a stall in the progress to the work. People got busy doing other things, and the work was hard to boot, so they didn't want to do it. They had prioritized their own houses and their own activities above finishing the temple of God. Now, the difference is, uh, this is just a building. You are the church. You are, where the, you are the temple of the Spirit of God. You're where he dwells, not in this building. But in those days, the temple had the Holy of Holies, and the glory of God in the cloud, the Shekinah, would fill the Holy of Holies. God wanted to be among his people. Not that God isn't omnipresent, that he's not everywhere at once, but he had a location. He wanted to have his presence dwell in the middle of his people, and nobody's working on the house. So God sends his prophets to have a little talk with them uh, about what's going on, and they went and told the people what God had said. Now, it begs the question for us, this happened thousands of years ago, but how can this pertain to us? Well, let's ask it this way. Just how important is the mission that God gives me individually and as a church to do? In other words, is what God told us to do as a church, is what God told us to do as believers, is that important to Jesus? Does he care whether you do it or not? If he gave you a ministry to try to reach somebody at work with the gospel and you put it off, you think that's important to God that you put it off? Do you think he wants you to do that? Do you think God ever sits in heaven and wonders why we're not moving forward in the areas of ministry that he's given us both as individuals and as a church? I, I think he does, especially when we delay without good reason. Haggai had told them God's house was lying in ruins. Now, I do want to point out to you, because in the text... There is a play on words. God is trying to use this to get across his message. So let me do that for you. Uh, God's house is lying in ruins. The Hebrew word for ruin there is chareb. And then he says that he would bring drought on them, and he has brought drought on them, and the word for that is chareb. And they sound so much alike, and God is trying to say and trying to get them to see, my house lies in ruins, and I'm going to bring consequences for that. And he used those words that are so close that mean different things to try to get their attention and, and get them to see they need to get moving. And so sometimes when God is not moving forward in his work, we will see to it that it will not be moving forward with the work that we are doing in life. And I don't know if they wondered that or not. Uh, maybe God isn't working right now. Maybe God isn't helping us. I don't want us to ever think that if God told us to do something. If God told us to do it, he's in it, he is working, and he's waiting for us to do the work as well. Um, with these people, God is moving, and they're not. And the problem is their priorities. They have a priority problem. The things of God in his ministry don't mean as much to them 
as their own houses. And that's just one example of their priority problem. I'm sure there were others. In verse 2, the civic and religious authorities listened to God's word, and they got up and they went to work on the temple. That's the proper response. That's what they should have been doing in the first place. God's representatives, the prophets, Haggai and Zechariah, were with them in this move to do what God told them to do. And I don't know if that means they actually rolled up their sleeves on their robes and got to work alongside. I think it probably does. But at least they were supporting them and saying, very clearly God told us to do this, and we need you to get about the work of doing this as well, and we're with you. I think it's always good when the person that is the spiritual leader of a group also rolls up their sleeves and, and does the work as well. Uh, God didn't call me to ask others to do the work. <laughs> I want to try to help too. I want to do my part too. And God wants you to do your part. And we don't just sit back and watch others get it done. Probably they encouraged them with God's word that they were in the right path. They needed to continue. Maybe they literally helped with the work as well. I think they probably did. Now in verses 3 to 5. What I want us to see there is that sometimes secular authorities will question the legitimacy of the work that the believers are doing in their mission. So God's spokesmen encourage them to get back to work. But God's work is not always easy. God's work sometimes has problems in it and things come up. And the enemy of our soul, Satan, and his demons work against us to get done what needs to be done. And there's opposition from people. There's opposition spiritually. And here comes the opposition for them. Tetanai, who was governor of this area across the river, noted that, that the work had begun. And he came to see who on earth authorized the rebuilding of this temple. See, it's been a long time. And they were doing some work. They built the altar, at least. And now nothing's going on. As governor, of course, he was in charge of making sure that only good things where the king is concerned are taking place in his territory, what he rules over. He is out to figure out, is everything going towards the king and towards his favor? He wants Darius to succeed. At least that's what he says on the outside. Who knows what his real personal motivation was? Darius worshipped a different god of heaven, even though Tetanai says, I'm writing you about the great god, and and he said that in verse 8, I'm writing you about the great god. Now, certainly... Darius did not worship at that time the great God of heaven, the God named Yahweh. He worshipped a God of heaven, and his name was Ahura Mazda, just like the car. Ahura Mazda. And that was his God, the great God. He was the highest God worshipped in a religion that is ancient called Zoroastrianism. And he is the God of Zoroastrianism, at least one of them. And it was the highest God worshipped in Zoroastrianism. I'm saying that because you need to know that has nothing to do with Christianity. Just like Hinduism is is taking our country through meditation and yoga and everything else you can imagine, it's Hinduism. It has no place in Christianity and with Christians. Well, this has no place with Judaism. Zoroastrianism is completely different. This temple the Jews were building was not to this God, but to a different one. And I'm, I'm really sure Darius knew that. The Jews gave them the names of those in charge of and who were building the temple. And the encounter, however, was not going to stop the building at this time. It seems that the governor allowed them to continue until he got word from the king. And, and that's a really good thing. He could have stopped it right where it was. He could have brought forces to do that. Now in verses 6 through 7a. The governor and colleagues checked on the matter as to its legality with the intent to stop it 
if they found it to be against the king. Sometimes people will build a church and all of a sudden there's people upset and they don't know why. Why are you building a church? We already have churches. Or you start a new mission and say, what do you need that mission for? Uh, We don't need that mission. And sometimes believers get on that bandwagon as well. And it makes it difficult to do what God calls you to do. Now this introduces the letter that Tetanai and Shetharbozani and their colleagues wrote to Darius. And they sent it as a report to see what the king would say about the matter. All right, this is not Cyrus, it's Darius, it's a different king. What does he say about this? There is really no hint of ill will towards the Jews right now, but it certainly was a serious matter. He could shut the whole thing down. The work was allowed to go on while they waited for a reply, and we'll get to the reply next week in chapter 6. This is an official letter to the king about the goings-on in his kingdom. The governor was responsible to the king, and he was keeping an eye on that territory. And that's important for you to know. In 7b to 17, we learn that we continue God's work while we're able by the sovereignty of God. We always continue and do what God tells us to do, even though we have opposition. Now, we're going to learn later in Nehemiah that there were times that other people hired lawyers to go back to Babylon and present petitions and file grievances against the children of Israel and what they're doing back in the land, trying to stop them. This thing gets nasty as time goes on. Anyway, he calls the Jewish God, as we pointed out, the great God. I don't believe he followed this God. There's no evidence he ever did. He had his own gods, just like Darius did, but he does call him a great God. That's his way, and in his way of thinking as a polytheist, he is saying, among the pantheon of gods, Yahweh, or Yahweh in Hebrew, is one of the highest gods over lesser gods. He still believes in many gods. He indicates the progress of the building project at the time of the report. Tells him where the, he tells the king where they're at. In verses 9 and 10, he recounts his request to know by whose authority are they rebuilding this temple. And he is asking what official authority do they have. He's officially in charge. He wants to know what gives them the right. And if the king is not in sympathy with what, with what is going on, these would be the men who would lose their lives over the issue. He has their names now. He knows who's responsible. In verses 11 and 12, they do not hide that they are servants of God. I don't know that we would have answered this way. I'd like to think we would have, but they they answered and they said, we're the servants of God in verse 11, the God of heaven and earth. They didn't say and start with, hey, we're loyal, loyal subjects to Darius. We would never go anything against him. Don't think we have anything against him. They don't even mention his name. They just say, we're doing this for our God the God who told us to do this. Today we might be tempted to say, well, we're doing this because, you know, the mayor of the town said we could do it and all the legislature at the state office, they're they're for it and everything so we don't get in trouble. But they just said, we're doing this because we're servants of God. You'd think they would have said something else, but they didn't. They trust God. They also make it clear that they know for certain that the reason their fathers were removed from the land and they tell them this and, and took them to Babylon when Nebuchadnezzar sent Nebuchadnezzar down, the captain of the king's executioners, to, to, to take care of everybody there and kill those who needed to be killed and haul them out of Jerusalem, some with hooks in their jaws, all the way back to Babylon, eight to 900 miles, depending on the route they took. 
our fathers, they said, sinned against this God. And so the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, came down here and took them out of the land as punishment, as God said that they would. And he also took all the articles of gold and silver and things out of the temple of God. And then Nebuchadnezzar raised it to the ground. And they provoked God to wrath. But it really wasn't about Nebuchadnezzar. And that's what they're saying. It's about what our God did and what we did to him. Uh, that indicates that they knew the right thing to do about God and they chose not to do it. And these people are saying, we're choosing to do it. In verses 13 to 15, then they lay out the facts of the legal proclamation that allowed them to rebuild the temple. Now they're going to make a claim here. They say that they got their permission from King Cyrus. Because we've studied this, we know that they did. Tetanai doesn't know that. King Cyrus of Babylon. In his first year as king, the king also commanded that the gold utensils and artifacts uh, that Nebuchadnezzar had taken from Yahweh's temple be returned. And remember that Ezra came all the way back with, with thousands of pounds of gold and silver and other things and didn't even have a military escort. Uh, the king said, do you want a military escort? He says, no, we're just going to trust God with that. They have millions and millions of dollars in our terms today of gold and silver. And I've often wondered, what did you do with that while you're waiting for the temple to be built? Because that's where it belongs. Where did they keep that? They had to trust God that he would take care of it because, you know, there was no bank with a huge vault they could put it in. There's a lot of faith going on with Ezra and Nehemiah. Well, he gave them meticulously accounted for uh, to Shishbazar, all these artifacts that they took back from Cyrus, whom he, and he's the one he appointed as governor. They report that the king's command was for them to take the utensils and all the articles of gold and silver, the menorah, the table of showbread, all that stuff, and bring it back, the altar of incense and everything, bring it back, return it to the temple. And uh, in verse 16, the appointed governor came to Jerusalem, uh, we think Zerubbabel, uh, it could be another man, but uh, working in con contrast with each other, one was given the authority and Zerubbabel actually did the work. That could be. Probably, since the Bible says that Zerubbabel is the one that laid the foundation, it was done under his, his watchful eye and authority, at least as far as the construction. But Zerubbabel did the actual work of the foundations. They note that it had been under construction ever since that time. They also note, probably to their shame, that the temple of God is not yet complete. You know, that's why he came. There was nothing going on for 16 years. Now, all of a sudden, things are happening. We better look into this. We better find out what's going on. You ever been ashamed that you didn't get done what God wanted you to do? <laughs> There's forgiveness. He'll give you another chance. He'll let you work again. In verse 17, the governor's request of the king is for the king's uh, own good, and it is a part of his job as one of the governors on the other side of the river to watch out for the king. His specific request is, hey, king, make a search of the official archives in, in what is called the treasure house in Babylon and look this matter up. Let's find out if these guys are telling the truth. If not, you can count on us to stop it. This is obviously a place where the official documents of the business of the king were kept. They said, go look there, the record house. Uh, the decree will finally be found, not really in Babylon, but in a place called, a town called Ekbatana, and that's, that's for next time. But that uh, is where the, this document is actually recovered. 
hey, did you notice something about the power of God here in this whole uh, scary issue that these folks are in? Tetanai was the governor, governor of the province across the river, across the Euphrates. He would have been known as one of those who watched out for the welfare of the king, his money. Are the people paying taxes? Are they doing what they're supposed to do? Is anybody rising up in rebellion against the king? We better stop that. That's what his job was. And that's what he did in the territory over which he ruled under Darius. He was known in those days, and they used a phrase, and in English we would say, um, he was the king's eye. He was the king's eye. He's, he's, he's boots on the ground, or in his case, sandals. And he's there to watch what's going on, make sure that everything's happening in such a way that Darius prospers by it. If Darius prospers, then maybe he'll prosper. He's the king's eye. The king can't watch everything. Uh, the king can't FaceTime Tetanai and say, well, show me what's going on. That didn't exist. You know, the king is going to have to wait to get this letter. It's a long ways to Babylon. It's going to take some time to get, it, get the answer back. Couldn't call the king. Uh, this is difficult stuff to do. And that's why he's there, to keep an eye out where the king can't keep an eye. There's no surveillance cameras. Everything has to be reported by loyal subjects. He's the king's eye. He's taking care of the king's business. And he would look to see if the king's attention needed to be focused on this situation where his interests might be at stake. I hope you've noticed I've made a big deal out of the king's eye. Right? I, I have a few extra minutes. I can do it some more if you'd like me to. <laughs> he is the kind of a guy who is sort of a spy for the king. And he has the authority of the king and to take action for the king in this territory. He just needs the word from the king. Now the encouraging thing to see in the text and in my Bible, I actually, uh, well, I, I drew a little box around it because I think it's key to the text and key for you and me. The encouraging thing is when God's work is being done, it's God who is watching his servants do their work. Did you notice that? Did you catch it in verse 5? Look at it. These guys are after them. And in the middle of that, in verse 5, it says, but. All right? There's people after them. People want to stop it. They're against them. The pressure's on, but. Strong contrast. The eye of their God was on the elders of the Jews. Do you see the difference? Here's, here's a guy watching out for the king's interest. Little, little K king, all right? Not capital K king. A, a, guy named, a guy named Darius. He's a man. Yeah, he has armies, he has power, but he's just a man. The people doing the work of God have the supreme God. I can't reach that high. He's watching over them. I think that should make a big difference in our ministries. People may try to stop you, but God's eye is on you. That means you have the power of heaven to do what God wants you to do. And that's in verse 5. It's there for reasons, for your encouragement and mine. If I had my choice between the eye of the human ruler 
and the eye of God, which one would you and I choose? Because God is sovereignly in control, and he causes Tetanai to allow the temple building to go on until he hears from the human king, who is really only there because God allows him to be there. The opposition to our ministry is oftentimes discouraging. Sometimes in our ministries, we get lonely. And seemingly, there is a difficulty at every turn. You know, for the church, this year has been a little difficult, hasn't it? With COVID, having to shut down, having to rely on social media, not being able to be together. I, I will not forget, you know, we try to social distance, we try to, you know, keep you apart at the beginning. And what did you do? You walked right out here in this, in this open part in the parking lot, and you crowded together, and you hugged each other, and you were close. Now, we couldn't stop that. And here we tried to, you know, get you apart. Well, you can't keep God's people apart. And the eye of God is still on us, and we're still doing his work, as are all those who love Jesus Christ and are working where God put them to work. And we want to remember that. An eye of the government may be against us. It doesn't matter who that is. It might be Satan himself who decides to uh, bring an attack on a church somewhere. It doesn't matter. They're down here, and he's up here. And it's the eye of God that matters, not the eye of the human king, Cyrus. Because now he's up against the eye of God and his sovereignty and his work. So the opposition to our ministry may be difficult. It is real. But don't worry about that. God has us. I want to encourage you today, brother or sister, God's eye is on you. Maybe you think your ministry is not that important. Every ministry is important to God, if that's what he called you to do. Every ministry. And every ministry has difficulties. Every ministry has opposition. I don't think you could name one single ministry, no matter how small you think it is, where Satan isn't actively working against that because he doesn't want it to go forward. Maybe a big ministry, maybe a little ministry, it doesn't matter. God's eye is on you. He's watching over you to help you accomplish what God has called you to do. Now, you may be sick of me going to this particular passage, but I just love it to death. And it's 2 Chronicles 16, 9a. He happens to be chewing out a, a king by the name of Asa, who did not show faith like he should have in God. And so our prophet is uh, giving him the what for about that. And in, in, in verse 9 of 2 Chronicles 16, he says this, For, now here's the reason you should have trusted God, Asa, for the eyes of Yahweh move to and fro throughout the earth, that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. And you don't have to be a king to have a heart that's completely God. You don't have to be old. You can be young. You can be old. You can be anywhere in between. If your heart belongs to God, God's eye will stop on you. And what's that text say he's going to do? Strongly support you. So let me just uh, pull some things together. And I hope, I hope you found some application in things we've already said, but I want to say three things as we finish by way of application. Number one, God's word to us should motivate us to continue in his work without delay. So I guess what I'm saying is, let's look at it this way. Let's be the kind of people that don't really need God to worry about motivating us. Let's be the kind of people who we read in the word of God. Now here, he's not calling us to build a temple. He's calling us to learn 
that we need to do what God calls us to do, and he will help us. That's what we're supposed to learn, and don't give up, and don't let the opposition derail you. But if it says in God's word to do it, that's really all we need, right? We're going to obey, and we're going to move forward, and we're going to do what God tells us to do. And that's the way it should be. Secondly, men cannot stop our work for Jesus when the eye of our God is upon us. Oh, they may, they may throw a stumbling block in there or two, or they may threaten to sue, or they may threaten this or that. But when God's in charge and he wants it done, they can't stop it. I kind of get a kick out of people. Uh, what's, what's it like in heaven when somebody says, that'll never happen? And God says, oh, really? <laughs> I'm, I'm going to go with God on that one. And finally this. It is important that we embrace God's perspective on life and on our ministries. I think the Lord Jesus said very plainly in the book of Matthew, seek first what? His kingdom and his righteousness. And this other stuff that we're all worried about, don't worry about that. He'll add to us what we need. The one who feeds the sparrows, and you're worth more than that also will feed and take care of you. But put his kingdom first. I think that's also what we learn. Let's pray together. I thank you, Heavenly Father, for your word. I thank you that you teach it to us and that you're patient with us. And even when we fail, because you cannot be unfaithful to yourself and we belong to you, you're still faithful to us. We're so thankful to that because... We are painfully aware how much we fail. Thank you for loving us and bringing us back. Thank you for giving us a second chance at times, sometimes three or four or five chances to do what you want us to do. Help us to be those kind of people that just hear what you want and then that's what we do. And I ask that for us in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. If you would please take your hymnals and open it to number 446, we will close by singing, I will serve thee.
with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. I played on the right side. No, I played the B. But that's a B. Oh, yeah, I probably should have played B sharp. I figured. It's not the right thing. <laughs> yeah. It makes it hard to tell that the other one is growing, too. something else, quite frankly. It's impossible. Yeah. And then her legs are sticking out six inches again. I ordered new pants from Duluth. <laughs> 